Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's stories, a novel class action brought in California accusing Uber and Lyft of price fixing, brought not by end users or consumers, but by the drivers. The Supreme Court has ruled that prisoners have a right under Section 1983 of the Civil Rights Act to request their specific method used in carrying out their death penalty sentence. And a frank discussion of the news out of Texas that the state Republican Party may seek a referendum seceding from the union and the legality of something like that. All of that, plus a brief discussion of the Dobbs opinion and the overturning of Roe versus Wade and more. Here's what you need to know. Um, I want to start with a brief acknowledgement, and this is all off the cuff and unscripted and everything else, so forgive me, uh, but acknowledgement of the Dobbs decision, which came down today, came down hours ago as I sit and record this episode. It's the 24th here. Um, and the discussion of that opinion is not really, this is not really a show to do that. We don't do Supreme Court stuff here mostly. But I think that the temptation is to just assume that, okay, well, that's done. It's over with. We don't have to talk about it or think about it anymore. And I think that that is just completely wrong. Um, and this is all without passing judgment one way or the other on the merits of the decision. It's just what this decision implicates. Uh, issues of criminalizing uh, abortion providers from different states, enforcing subpoenas for investigations into those things in both the civil and criminal context, um, the just federal conflicts, like whether the USPS, uh, the post office, which is run by the federal government, can continue mailing FDA-approved contraception medication in states that have banned abortion and banned those medications, right? There's laws in Virginia that are still on the books that would ban advertisements for abortions, which obviously implicates the First Amendment. The court is going to have to be prepared, and, and the lower courts as well, but also our kind of body politic, is going to have to be prepared to answer these questions and conceptions of citizenship of a state versus citizenship of a country. I mean, I think that we're in for a uh, a reorganization of a lot of these concepts um, in the near future and for good or for bad, you know, this isn't without passing any judgment on any of this stuff. Um, but I think people need to think about that. And I think that legal commentators in particular need to start thinking um, a couple of steps ahead as to how this is going to impact uh, things in different states and people who maybe think that this decision doesn't even affect them. Um, it, it will. So with that in mind, we can go ahead and get to the rest of the show. Drivers in California are suing Uber and Lyft for allegedly price fixing the cost of rides in an attempt to limit the amount of money that the drivers would make for each ride. The argument of the drivers is somewhat interesting. If the drivers are independent contractors, which is what Uber and Lyft and Grubhub and DoorDash and all of the gig economy companies have spent many millions of dollars campaigning for over the past decade. If the drivers are independent contractors, then shouldn't the drivers be able to set their own rates? According to a Law 360 piece, quote, in reality, Uber and Lyft fix prices using algorithms that are not disclosed to drivers or customers, according to the complaint. Drivers often don't know their destination or how much they will earn from rides until after they've accepted the rides, they say. Meanwhile, customers have no idea how much their fares goes to the drivers versus the companies themselves. The drivers are therefore able to raise customer prices while simultaneously suppressing driver pay, according to the drivers. 
quote, defendants label their drivers independent contractors, yet deprive those drivers of the economic independence by fixing the prices that drivers must charge for customers for rides, they said in the complaint. This is a form of vertical price fixing that is illegal per se under California's Cartwright Act, unquote. So Uber and Lyft have been sued a lot over the years. We've covered a little bit on the show. I think when Uber went public in 2019, it disclosed its legal fees were something like $1.4 billion per year, something like that. And Uber has been defending its core business model this entire time. The, the core business model that a ride dispatch system that connects independent contractor drivers with people who need a ride. And I know from experience that Uber's lawyers practically jump out of their seats and correct you uh, when you mention that the drivers are employees and they're not, they are not independent contractors. So this lawsuit is a bit different though. It takes for granted that the drivers are independent contractors, then says, okay, so let us be independent then and set our own prices. The drivers are complaining also of the fact that Uber does not tell drivers where their riders' destinations are until after they accepted the ride offer from Uber. So you end up with stories like the ones quoted in the Law 360 piece. One driver, quote, once attempted a ride at the end of his shift that took him from Los Angeles International Airport to Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia, a 40-mile trip that left him 70 miles from home, the driver said. He then had to go home without a passenger and therefore without pay all the way home. Another driver said, quote, he experienced a similar situation while driving. He said he once had a ride that took him to San Diego from Los Angeles in the middle of the night, more than 120 miles from his home. That trip took more than seven hours, he said, unquote. So the legal theory is interesting. David Seligman, the attorney for the drivers and the executive director of the legal nonprofit Towards Justice, said in a statement that Uber and Lyft have insisted that they don't employ their drivers. Quote, but if Uber and Lyft are not employers responsible to their employees under labor standards, then they are powerful corporations that fix prices, abuse their power, and deceive the workers who drive their profits, unquote. Based on all this, Uber really can't seem to get itself out of legal trouble, even if it tried. As always, I like to say in this scenario, best of luck to everyone involved. Up next, this is about as close as I'm willing to get to true partisan politics on this show. But there's a legal angle to this political issue, so I think it falls within the show's jurisdiction, if you will. And we cover Texas a lot on the show because I'm sorry, but Texas, for my money, is doing the weirdest stuff legally. Here's another one for that file. The Texas State Republican Convention adopted a platform that would urge the legislature, which is mostly Republicans, to put a referendum before Texas in 2023 to, quote, determine whether or not the state of Texas should reassert its status as an independent nation, unquote. So they're talking about leaving the United States and becoming their own country. Quick aside, um, (laughs) Texas wanting to reassert its status as an independent nation is so annoying to me. It existed for nine years from 1836 to 1845. And the only reason it broke away from Mexico is because the United States basically provoked a war with Mexico to get Texas. And Texas was then immediately trying to join the union, but couldn't because of political reasons, namely the question of whether Texas would be a free or slave state. And the friction from its status as a slave state would ultimately lead to its seceding from the union in 1861, joining the Confederacy. And we know how that turned out. They rejoined the union in 1870 after getting absolutely wrecked by the United States. Another parenthetical here, my absolute dream is to grow this show big enough and then pull the rug out on everyone and turn it into a civil war podcast. 
So the idea that it was his own country in any real sense is just silly to me. Anyways, Texas GOP wants a referendum on whether to secede from the United States. It feels like they do this every few years, but someone finally asked the question whether Texas can simply vote its way out of the country. The Texas Tribune takes the GOP platform at its word and asks the question of whether secession would be quote unquote legal. And the short answer is no. The case from 1869 of Texas versus White, the Supreme Court, this is right after the Civil War, by the way, held that a state cannot unilaterally secede from the Union. Quoting from the Tribune, which quotes from the opinion, when Texas entered the Union, she entered into an indissoluble relation, Chief Justice Samuel P. Chase wrote for the court. All of the obligations of perpetual union and all of the guarantees of Republican government in the Union attached at once to the state. The act which consummated her admission into the Union was something more than a compact. It was the incorporation of a new member into the political body, and it was final. The Union between Texas and the other states was as complete, as perpetual, and in as indissoluble as the union between the original states. There was no place for reconsideration or revocation except through revolution or through consent of the states. Chase added, the ordinance of succession adopted by the convention and ratified by the majority of citizens in Texas, he's talking about the ordinance of succession which led to the Civil War, and all acts of her legislature intended to give effect to that ordinance were absolutely null. They were utterly without operation at law. Unquote. According to the Trib, the annexation resolution Texas passed in 1845 says Texas could choose to divide itself into five states if it wanted to, but nothing regarding a union with the United States. And at the end of the day, this is just something that politicians do for attention. Texas isn't seceding. Think about the economic reality of trying to do something like that. People are up in arms justifiably now due to high inflation. Imagine what would happen to the cost of just about everything in Texas that wasn't made in state. People wouldn't tolerate that for a minute. And just thinking out loud here, the economic realities of something like that would just be insane. I mean, Texas, if it were to secede from the union, it would immediately no longer be party to any of the trade agreements that the United States is. So it would have to go about renegotiating all of those itself. Moreover, I mean, Texas doesn't make iPhones, for example. Those would all have to be imported from, I guess, either China or from the United States. They'd have to set up trade agreements to do that unless people in Texas didn't want their iPhones anymore. Economically, it would wreck the state. It would also wreck probably the United States in general because Texas is the 15th largest economy in the world, something like that. So no, Texas isn't seceding. It's ridiculous and irresponsible to talk that way. Up next, the Supreme Court ruled that inmates who are going to receive the death penalty have the right to sue under Section 1983 of the Civil Rights Act to request the specific method of being put to death. Quoting from Law 360, in a 5-4 ruling, the court said that Michael Nance, a death row inmate in Georgia who challenged the state's execution by lethal injection in favor of a firing squad, was right in pursuing the challenge by filing a Section 1983 Act claim, which allows for individuals to sue state agencies over civil rights violations. Nance argues that the lethal injection would create a substantial risk of severe pain and the amount of cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. In 2019, the Supreme Court ruled in Bucklew that inmates can ask for an execution method used in other states, but never established that they can do it through a civil rights action under Section 1983. Today's ruling allows that path for inmates requesting alternative execution procedures used in other states, unquote. 
The ruling is really a procedural one. It never really gets into the merits of what kind of execution method states should be offering. Still, when skimming the headlines this week, this story jumped out as one of the weirdest in a number of decisions which are impactful and weird in and of themselves. Our last story, a former Facebook whistleblower is starting a nonprofit to train lawyers to litigate against social media companies. Francis, I'm going to mess up her name, Huagen, H-U-A-G-E-N, the infamous Facebook whistleblower who released a huge amount of documents and data from Facebook and eventually testified in front of Congress about Facebook's behavior, wants to start a nonprofit that would train lawyers to hold social media companies accountable, according to Politico. I'm quoting from The Verge here, quote, the organization which... Haljin wants to call beyond the screen, plans to focus on three main goals, educating lawyers who could potentially be going up against social media companies, incentivizing investors to look into how socially responsible a tech company is before giving it money, and giving regulators and researchers an inside look into how platform works. Political reports that Haljin is currently working with two other people on the project and is looking to raise about $5 million in funding to get it off the ground. The report also mentions that she has already received at least some funding from some currently unnamed backers, unquote. So she seems to want to start a CLE company for suing social media companies, I think. All right. The piece notes that she wants to create a metric that can be used to measure how well companies keep their users safe, something that investors might be interested in. And she generally wants to push for legislation in the U.S. that would break up Facebook's monopoly on the Internet, yada, yada, yada. It seems like this organization of hers has a lot of different goals. I'm not aware of any tech startups that expressly are geared at training lawyers to sue other tech companies, but I am interested. As many of you know, being a litigator means in large part being able to at least temporarily put on the mask of being a subject matter expert in whatever field you're working in, construction, medicine, tech, finance, whatever. So industry insiders turn lawyer instructors is a pretty interesting value proposition from my perspective. I'd love to know more about the ins and outs of Facebook's inner workings, and I'd love to learn from those insiders on how to better sue these large companies. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for indulging my little tirade at the beginning there. The Dobbs decision and everything that is around it right now is dominating my uh, brain space, and it's the only thing I can think about right now. So I appreciate everyone listening to me get that off my chest. Um, the show every Tuesday, new episodes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, and we will talk to you next week.